Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to First uh, John. Uh, we'll be reading from uh, chapter five, verses twenty and twenty-one. Um, we're in a series. Uh, if, if this is your first time with us this summer, or we're in a series, "Idols of the Heart." Uh, idols of the heart. We're looking just at, at ways that idols come into our heart and take the place, the throne that that belongs to God. That that while God should be in control, that His Spirit should be sitting on the throne calling the shots, we have idols that come in and, and threaten uh, the, the way things should be. And so we've mainly, primarily been focusing just on the problem, right? The, uh, you know, what idols do, how destructive they are, and, and, and all of those things. And now as we kind of begin to close over the next couple of weeks this series out, what we want to do is really begin to focus on solutions. Like, what do I do about the idols uh, that are in my heart? And so this morning we want to talk about uh, tracking down idols of the heart, okay? To be an idol hunter, in a sense. That, that sometimes, like, if you're hunting an animal, you may not know where it lives, so you have to kind of find out where, where does it exist outside of its den, and then track it back to, to, to the den to find out uh, where it is, where you can uh, do whatever you're going to do, kill it or whatever. And so it's the same way with the idols of the heart. Sometimes it's hard, and we'll talk about this in a minute, sometimes it's hard to look into our heart and see the idols that are there. Sometimes we have to look into our life and see some things, see some actions that we're doing and trace that back to our heart, and that's where we'll find our idols. A verse that we'll actually probably... Uh, be visiting for the next couple of weeks uh, we'll be coming back to this at some point during the next two messages as well as first john 5 20 and 21 verse 20 is just going to spell out the centrality of christ the, the 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 beauty of what christ has done and then he's going to close out this is the closing of the entire letter of first john he's going to then close out in verse 21 with a very important warning Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Verse, little one, uh, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Christ has come, He's come to give us understanding to, to, so that we might know Him. More than knowing Him, that, that, to, to put us in Him, in Christ. We are in Christ, as this verse says. And this is the centrality of life. There's something we must fight against in keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that is idols. So I love what, uh, what John does here, in, in that he unwraps for us and in verse 21, the centrality of Christ, verse 
But before we do any of that, we need to know how do we find the idols? How do we locate them? How do we know what the idols are in our lives? And this sounds simple enough, but I begin to really think about how to approach this. How do you how do you figure out what your heart wants too much? Because what we've already discovered, what we've looked at in the last several weeks is the heart is deceptive, right? That, that to the believer, the person who is trusted in Christ, there's really two natures in their heart. It's, a, it's the nature of the old man, of the flesh, that, is, that wants idols, that loves idols, that wants to put things before God. And then the other side, we have uh, the, or the nature of the Spirit that God has given us that, that wants God first, that He wants He wants what is best for us, which is Christ at the center of our life. And so we've got this heart that, and sometimes we don't know how to listen to it because there's two natures that are dueling, dueling it out for what's right. And so, so how do you do, how do you, you can't just sit there and go, I'm going to, I'm going to just meditate. I'm just going to think about what does my heart want too much? Because what's going to happen is your heart's going to fight back. Your heart is not the, the, the part of you that is still in the flesh uh, that will be with you until you're glorified. That sin nature is going to want to not betray the idols, to, to keep those idols hidden, to, to fight back at, 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 what, at what you're seeking to find, which is the idols. It's not going to betray the idols that it loves so much. And you'll find that if you sit there and just begin to think, okay, what do I love too much? Man, all these lawyers, your inner lawyers are going to come in and say, oh, it's okay, you don't want that too badly. That's just, you know, that's just a little hobby. You don't want that too bad. You need, you, need, you need that hobby. That hobby's not too important to you. You deserve it. You've earned it. So we have these lawyers that begin to to come to the defense of our idols and our hearts. So how do we do it? How do we figure out what are the idols in our heart? And I found a quote by David Pallison, which just helped me, and it, it threw back the veil of how to discover our idols, and I believe it's what the Bible says. Here's what he says. It's a serious mistake to engage in introspective idol hunts attempting to dig out and weigh every kink in the human soul. The Bible calls for a more straightforward form of self-examination. An outburst of anger invites reflection on what craving ruled the heart so that our repentance can be intelligent. The Bible's purposes are extrospective, not introspective to move towards God in repentant faith. Now, Pallas intends to be uh, to kind of talk real scholarly, so let me try to paraphrase what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to discover the idols of your heart, don't, don't just look inside at your heart. Look at what your heart is causing you to do on the outside, in your life. Begin to look at things, and, and what we're going to do is just try to begin to, to go to the Scriptures to see some of the things that, that we are supposed to look at. And I think this is very biblical. Jesus said in, in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure 
uh, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So, so Jesus said the same thing that Palestine is saying is that you have to look at the fruit to understand what's going on in the heart. Look at what your life is doing. And so what we want to do is talk about following some trails back to our idols. First, we're going to look at follow the trail of your time, your money, and affection. Second, we're going to look at follow the trail of conflicts in your life. And third, we're going to look at follow the trail of moments when you don't aim to please God. Now, um, as a disclaimer, I'm, I'm going to be preaching uh, from several texts this morning. I tend to, I prefer expository preaching. I prefer to go to, to one section of the scripture and, and just un, unpack that. Uh, but this morning, just to cover this topic of how to discover our idols, I think it, it's best uh, that we, uh, we go in several places to look and kind of build a, a uh, biblical framework of how to identify idols in our lives. So first, we follow the trail uh, follow the trail of your time, money, and affection. Matthew 6.21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's to look at what, it, what is it that you treasure in your life. What is, what is it that stirs your affections up? What is it that you spend your money on? What is it you're giving your time to? So, so first, what do you give your time to? Or check your calendar. Look at your calendar. Crystal and I listened to uh, an audio book uh, on vacation this past week. And, and uh, just to make a really long story short, it was about these, these uh, deep sea wreck divers. And, uh, and these guys, and they have full-time jobs, and this is just kind of their hobby. And so they find a German U-boat, a German submarine where it's not supposed to be. This is the big, big mystery. It's not supposed to be here. How did it get sunk? And so their life for years is wrapped up in identifying this U-boat. And it was crazy to read about every spare moment they were, thinking, they were planning their dives and how do we get into this room? How do we find some identifying mark to figure out what, the, who, what this U-boat was? Identifying it. And they were flying to Washington to go into the archives, and they were flying to Germany to go into their archives and just try to try to figure this out. Every it's like every waking moment was we've got to identify this U-boat. So much so that they both lost their marriages. They both could not be family men because on top of their full-time job, they had this this occupying passion of identifying this U-boat. But what I love was their honesty because time and time in the book, they kept saying, this is the defining thing of our lives. This is the defining thing in our lives. And there's no doubt when you look, when you, when you, when you examine how much they have sacrificed for that one thing. It was their defining moment. And the reality is, is that many of us, we have that defining thing, and it's not God, and it's not our family. But we would never, with that kind of honesty, say that that's my defining thing. But if we were to look at your calendar, and we were to look at how everything in your life is about making time for that one thing, whether it's work, or whether it's a hobby, or 
whatever it might be, and, and you cast your family aside, you cast God aside for the pursuit of that one thing. The reality is, is that it doesn't matter what you say is your defining passion. You know, we tend to do that. We, well, what's the most important thing? Oh, it's God. Oh, it's, you know, it's God and family. But yet, if you really examined our calendars, our schedules, we would see very, very different. If your God is confined to your, to, in your family to Sunday mornings, or maybe just a Sunday morning a month, if you're lucky, the church is lucky to have you, if that's it, then don't run around saying that, that God is most important. When you don't talk about Him in your family, when you, when you never read the Bible at home, when you never acknowledge Him outside of this building. You will make, and it's an old phrase, you will always, always make time for the things that you love. It's the truth of it. Secondly, what do you give your money to? Or check your checkbook. Another way to track an idol is to take a look at how you spend your money. Is there, is there always plenty of money for this one thing that you like, but when your spouse spends a little too much money, then, oh, we're tight on the budget. But I made sure we had enough budget for my thing. I'm speaking from experience here. The, the budget gets real loose when we're talking about some things in my life, but for my spouse, not so much. Wait, well, we, we, we're on tight budget. We weren't on a tight budget last week when you needed to do that thing. And we, we say we don't have enough money to, to give to the work of God, but but somehow we managed to pay a cable bill, right? Like, like we could say certain things that we value and we treasure God, that He is the center, and yet the checkbook doesn't lie, does it? And thirdly, what, what owns your affection? If out of the overflow of, of the heart the mouth speaks, then a good way to examine what truly rules your heart is, is what comes out of your mouth. What do you say? Let me ask you a simple question. Does it bring as much joy in your heart to speak to others about God as it does to speak about your hobby, about your politics, about your family, about your job? You ever notice in small group, if you're in a small group, like, how some things are just easy to talk about. That, you know, if, if there's a coming election, you know, and, and you throw out some, some ideas out there, boy, everybody, you know, they can't wait to get a word in about the coming election and who they're voting for and why. Or if it's in the fall, you know, throwing out college football, man, it's over. We can go for hours tonight about, uh, you know, if it's in the fall, about the condition of our favorite team and what they need to do to improve and what's wrong with the coach. We go for hours. We can talk about our favorite shows, the, the cliffhanger, 
of our favorite shows, and everyone is going to give theories about what is going to happen next, and we can go on and on about that. And then the Bible opens, the bread of life, and crickets. You've been there. Hey, I'm not telling you what I've seen, I'm telling you what I've done. There's so many things, man. I, you know, LSU Tigers, I want to talk about that. Or I want to, want to talk about my, my food plot and my deer stand. And, and, but then we open up the Word of God and, man, let's get through these questions or this study as quick as we can so we can get back to just shooting the breeze and talking. What we enjoy talking about and what is the joy, asking ourselves, what is the joy that gets us out of bed in the morning? That is where it doesn't lie. Our hearts can lie. But what, what truly is coming out of our mouths most often and, and, and the joy that gets us out of bed, that's what doesn't lie. That's what tells us the truth. So as we, we wrap up this first point, Why are you not talking about God as much as you should? Why is it hard for you to turn over dollars to the kingdom? Why is it, why do you give so little time to God? And you, you cast yourself upon God and say, God, I don't love you as I ought, but I know what you've done. All these things would just naturally flow out of a heart that is totally in love with you. It's always the Christian solution is just never just to try harder. That's other religions' solution. The Christian solution is is fling yourself upon Christ and the cry and, and, and the one who died for you. Secondly, you need to follow the trail of conflict in your life. And we're going to revisit James chapter 4 for a moment. Uh, we've already kind of talked about how idols cause conflicts in our life, so we're going to maybe go through this one a little quicker. Uh, but James 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive.
because you act wrongly you spend it on your passion so you need to examine you want to discover and trace back your idols and, and, and see the idols that are in your heart look at the conflict that exists in your life what relationships do, do I have that are a constant battlefield usually what stands between two people in conflict is an idol Maybe it is your idol, maybe it's their idol. More often than not, it's both of your idols in the middle fighting it out. Who's going to get what they want so badly? You ask yourself, why are you fighting with your spouse? And why are you fighting with your coworker? Why are you fighting with your kids? Or why are you fighting, kids, with your parents? Sometimes relationships blow up because, man, the other person's just sinned against you. That happens, okay? I'm not saying that every relationship issue, every conflict that you have in your life, I'm not saying that every one of them is because of an idol in your heart, but I'm saying it's probably the case more often than you realize. That there's something that your heart wants, and that other person isn't giving it to you. And so therefore you've chosen to go... Uh, to war with that person. It might have even been a good thing that you just wanted too badly. And you didn't, di- didn't get it, so you decided to go to war. You need to look at the conflicts of your life. Who are you fighting and why are you fighting with them? You need to ask yourself, what was I wanting when I've had a recent outburst of anger? As Pallison said, an outburst of anger invites reflection. I mean, let's get down to the nitty gritty for a moment, okay? Think through the last week and think through what was your worst moment of anger? What was that that and just made your ears burn and, and got you angry. And ask yourself, re- reflect on it. In that moment of anger, who was it towards? What was I wanting at the time that I was so angry? And ask yourself, can, can I honestly call that? long-standing bitterness do you harbor towards another some people <clears throat> sometimes people feel victim to our ideals because and you know, we just we put them at the center instead of God and we we've, we've talked about this back uh, in the sermon on how idols uh, destroy relationships but your marriage becomes the center 
getting married, finding the perfect man, and, and this idea, this idea is what I'm going to have in my perfect spouse and my perfect marriage, and, and this man or this woman's going to complete me, and then I'll be happy. First comes love, and then comes marriage, and then comes the baby kids, and then comes the kids. It's not as perfect as I wanted it to be. This person is not completing me in the way that I wanted them to complete me. And the reality is, is they, they were never meant to be the center of your life. The moment you put them there over God is the moment where you started destroying them, at least in your eyes. And that is the moment when you invited bitterness into your life towards this person. Because they don't stand a chance of meeting the needs that, that God has intended to meet for you. Or a parent, you, you didn't have the best childhood, but, but by golly, your kids are going to have the best childhood. And so you put them in every activity. They're going to learn to play an instrument, maybe two instruments. They're going to play every single sport available. They're going to be in every play available. They're going to be in every beauty con- contest available. And they're driven... Not necessarily because these are things that they enjoy, but it's, man, it's so important to mom. It's so important to dad. And then, but before long, they're just crushed by your expectations because they're exhausted, because they're in everything. And then they get embittered to this parent that's putting all this on them. And you get embittered towards them because you're doing all this stuff for them. And they don't thank you and... and and worship you as a parent because of all that you're doing for them. And in bitterness comes in. Why? Because your child was placed at the center and not God. And lastly, follow the moment, the trail of moments when you don't aim to please God. 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says this, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Y'all, this should be the governing motivation for our life. We should be like Paul. And say that whatever I do, I do it to please my God. I'm, I'm out to please Him every choice I make. And so, any moment when we're not doing that, any moment when we're not aiming to please Him, and we don't care about pleasing Him, is a moment where an idol is very well, very likely being revealed in our life. You need to ask yourself, am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin to get this thing that I want? Now, I want to clarify something for a moment. That it's not wrong to pursue a desire that is not sinful. Um, A mom who has been with the kids all day expressing a desire to have a little alone time or desiring to maybe go have coffee with with a friend, 
maybe going, you know, shopping for a little bit. That's not a, a sinful thing to express for a mom to express that need. Or, or a, a dad or a, a, a husband um, who has worked very hard all week, that has served his family well, and he lets known that, that he is desiring to play some golf or to go work on his deer stands getting ready for fall. To, to express your needs or to express even some of your wants is not idolatry. That's just good communication, folks. Because you see what, what, we can, what, what I'm afraid you can do with this series on idolatry is because you don't understand shopping, you can use it to say, that's an idol. And you need to get, I don't understand it, so I'm calling it an idol, and so it's a sinful thing that you need to get out of your life. Or a, a, a wife can, can say, I, I don't understand why you do all that you do to kill animals. It's an idol. I'm, I'm going to label it an idol just because it's something you love and I don't understand it. Don't use idolatry accusations to browbeat someone for things that they like that you don't understand. Idolatry comes when we pursue desires in a sinful way. Or acting in a sinful way when those desires are not being realized. It's what do you do when you don't get to play golf or you don't get to have that time alone? How do you respond? Or how do you go about trying to get those things? That's what reveals whether or not it's an idol. You ask yourself, am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to disobey God to go after this desire? Are you willing to deceive and to manipulate in order to go after something? And we can so easily disguise it. I, I did that. And so I've been, you know, I've been thinking through my week as I'm asking you to kind of think about your week. And I was thinking about on the way home from Florida. You know, we're driving along and of course, you know, we're going through the maze that is Mobile, right? Trying to figure out how to get through that city without being lost. And, and the kids are, are fighting. Then they're in the back. I had it first, and this is mine, and I want to watch that DVD. I want to watch... And they're just fighting. And man, I'm just constantly lambasting them about their lack of love for one another and how selfish they are. And I'm being way too gruff about it, Okay? Why? Because my desire in that moment is not to mold my kid's heart. My desire in that moment is for them to be quiet so I can listen to my audiobook. Right? Like on the outside, it looks great. Like, like I'm saying some great things about selfishness and about loving each other and, and I'm trying to mold my kid's heart. But deep down inside, it's really I'm just pursuing my audiobook that they're disturbing. Right? You, see how, you see how deceptive things can get that, hey, I make this look like I'm being a good parent, but inside I'm just, just like them. I'm pursuing my own desire. And in that moment, I'm not 
I'm being way too gruff. I'm, I'm getting way too angry because I'm not pursuing pleasing God. I'm pursuing pleasing Adam. And am I willing, second question is, am I willing to sin if I don't get it or, or, or if I think that I'm going to lose it? When we don't get what we have set up as an idol in our heart, we will cast aside our desire to please God and live according to His Word. We'll cast it aside. Well, many of us would say that, that we absolutely believe this book and we believe we should obey every bit of Scripture in the moment that someone does not give us what we want, we will cast this book aside. We will. If it's an idol. This book says that I'm instructed to, in Ephesians, that I'm instructed to let only words come out of my mouth that build up the other person. That I'm to guard my, my mouth against anything that's destructive. How do you react when you don't get what you want? You cast it aside and say, I'm going to let you have it. It's what we do. This Word says we're instructed to return evil done say to your spouse what do you decide to do according to your spouse you say they're not giving me what i want they're not being the spouse that i want them to be so guess what i'm not going to be the spouse that i'm supposed to be i'm not going to give them what they want instead of stopping for a moment and asking am i pleasing god Am I operating according to this book which says even when they don't give me what I need, even when they don't, when they, they're not right to me, I'm still supposed to be everything that they need as a husband or a wife. But you cast it aside. Even though you say you believe it. Because you feel like I'm justified. They don't give me what I want. I'm not going to give them what they want. If they're not going to be the spouse I want them to be, I'm not going to be the spouse God's called me to be. Instead of saying, how has God told me to respond? We're told to be, to be quick in this Word, to be quick to make peace, to not let the sun go down on, on our anger, but, but to be peacemakers. But don't get your idol. And you cast this Word aside and you go to war. We somehow think that, that a need we have, that if a need we have is not being met, that we can cast this book aside and that we are somehow, we somehow have a right to be ungodly. When, when Paul says, 
no matter what, I make it my goal to please God. And so our desire... run to it for refuge instead of turning to God. When life gets hard, where do you turn? When you have a rough day at the office, where do you go? When tragedy comes your way, where do you find comfort? Do you find it in drinking too much? Do you turn to Amazon to order a few things, First and foremost, turn to God. And none of that stuff certainly ever gave up His Son to death, to death on the cross for you. And so those things are, are not to be your refuge, but only God who is promised you refuge who has demonstrated that he would be your refuge and what he's given to you I just want to close out with going back to john chapter 5 and we know that the son of god he really listen to these words And we know that the Son of God has come and He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. They can't do it. They can't meet your need. They can't fulfill you. Only when God is at the center, only when you are are seeking to understand Him and, 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 and seeking to be in Him, will your life be complete. Will your life be what it He's called you to be. Only then will He be I mean, I love the, the way it keeps saying true. He's the true thing. These idols are lies. The true God and the One who gives eternal life. Little children, track your idols down. Examine your life. Where's my money going? Where's my time going? Where's my 
affections going? Where am I at war with others? And is there an idol involved? And where in my life am I choosing just to cast these Scriptures aside because I'm pursuing something other than pleasing God? Track those idols to your heart and then destroy them and then seek to pursue and worship God to lock your heart up tight from anything that would come in and take away that worship. And that's where we'll be in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to ask you to, to stand as our musicians come. Just ex- ask you this morning to examine to examine some things, not just looking at your heart, because it'll lie to you, but what are the things that are coming out of your life? And ask God to reveal them, them to you. And then fling yourself upon Christ because He is better than idols. He will fulfill you more than any idol you can ever put in His place. Let's pray. Dearly Father God, I pray that You would help us to be those who are awake. That are aware. That we look at our lives and we look at, at, at what's coming out of our lives. God, and we are aware that we are people that are prone to idolatry. And God, help us to see it. Help us to be aware of it. And then help us to kill those idols with the true worship of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.